0: Well, if you would, take your Bible and open it with me, please, to the book of 1 Timothy. The book of 1 Timothy, uh, chapter 1. Earlier this week, one of our secretaries came to me to to talk about a young man we both know. She had seen some things on Facebook that troubled her. He used to be very faithful to the Lord and active in church, but now he isn't. In fact, he often posts on his Facebook page some very hostile comments about christianity about the church and she was troubled by that and and uh, so we talked about it prayed for him and the truth is all of us know people who have done that people who at one moment in life were very strong in their faith walking close with the lord serving him very effectively and for whatever reason they stopped there are other people we know who still come to church but they're not growing in their relationship with Christ. Maybe they used to really be on fire, but now they're just sort of there. They're here. They show up, but they're not growing. They're not being transformed. God's not using them to do very much. Maybe you are one of those. There was a time when your walk with Jesus was vital and vibrant. You were thriving, so to speak, in your spiritual life, but no more, not today. And so I want to ask you a question. How is your relationship with the Lord? How are you doing? How is your faith? Is it thriving? Is it growing? I want to show you a picture of what a thriving Christian looks like. Those are my good juicy tomatoes. Um, I love this time of year when tomatoes are ripe. They make every sandwich a thousand times better. Can I get a witness on that? I love those tomatoes now. <clears throat> A thriving Christian, and listen to me, is fun, fruitful, a blessing, growing, productive. Let me show you a picture of what one who's not thriving looks like. Um, those hornworms, those tobacco worms, I found one of my tomato plants. I've got one in a pot on my deck. And... Uh, That's what it looks like right now because of those dastardly worms. I mean, just eating everything on that tomato plant. This world chews at you. This culture does everything it can to weaken your faith, your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's okay for you to believe something. It's okay for you to be a Christian. Just shut up. Don't say anything. Keep it all to yourself. Don't be an on-fire person. Don't be a Jesus freak. Don't be somebody who's sold out. And some of us struggle putting one foot in Satan's world while trying to keep the other in Jesus' world, trying to live for both, and it doesn't work. So this month we're going to talk about what does it look like to be a, a thriving Christian in your relationship with Jesus Christ, not not one that the world just sort of eats alive and defeats, and therefore is not productive, but one that's that is productive, Pro- producing beautiful, juicy, ripe tomatoes, if you will. How do you how do you remain as a thriving Christian? I love the definition of the word thrive that you see on the screen and on the cover of your bulletin this morning that says to thrive is to grow or develop, to flourish or succeed. I think that's a good description of what we're supposed to be doing as followers of Christ, growing, developing, becoming more like Jesus, flourishing, prospering, succeeding, not being defeated. So what we're going to do over the next four weeks is look at the first chapter of 1 Timothy and lift out of those words some lessons that will help us in our journey as a Christian so that we can be a, a thriving Christian this morning, we're going to look at the first two verses, and here's the key lesson, that if you're going to thrive spiritually, you have to maintain a strong connection with Jesus Christ. Now, that may sound so simple, yet so many of us struggle to do that. It's foundational to everything. If you, if you build a house, you need a solid foundation for the house to stand, to not crack, to be level. And in your walk with Christ, your Christian life, your connection to Jesus Christ is foundational. Your journey begins by giving yourself to Christ, receiving him as your Lord, surrendering yourself to him. And the Bible says that we live for Christ, that we walk in Christ the same way we received him, by faith. The way you start is with Jesus, being connected to Jesus. And the way you continue and thrive is to maintain a close, strong, intimate connection with Jesus Christ. And so I want us to look at the opening verses of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Read with me at verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Join me in prayer. Father, we give these next moments to you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you break through every barrier that would prevent us from hearing you. We ask that you touch our hearts, that you inform our minds so that our lives might be transformed and bring honor to Christ. Lord, none of us want to be weak. None of us want to be defeated. So we ask that you work in our lives today to bring renewal, and to help us thrive in our relationship with Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Now, 1 Timothy is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a man named Timothy. They were friends. They were co-workers in the ministry together. And both of them were strong followers of Jesus. They were strong Christians who, who lived for the Lord to the very end of their lives. They never gave up. And I chose this letter... And these two men for this study about what does it take to thrive in the Christian life? Because not only did they thrive, not only were they faithful and dependable, but they did it in a culture that is very similar to ours. They did it in a climate, if you will, that was not always supportive of living for Jesus. Just like the culture you and I live in today in America is not always conducive to being a dedicated Christian. They lived in that kind of world. And they succeeded in that kind of world. They remain vital as Christians, and we can learn from them. And they faced some very real challenges, yet they grew. And I want us to look at both of these men. Now, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter to Timothy, Paul grew up in a religious home, a very devout Jewish home, and he was sent away to school to study and become a Pharisee, if you will, a religious leader among the Jewish people. And in the early days of the church, the early days of Christianity, Paul, this Pharisee, persecuted Christians, threw them in jail. In fact, two or three years after the resurrection of Jesus, Paul was on his way to the city of Damascus to have Christians arrested, bringing them back to Jerusalem to put them on trial for their faith. And while he was on that road, you know the story as written in the book of Acts, Paul had this very dramatic encounter with Jesus Christ. He saw the resurrected Jesus, and it radically changed who he was and how he saw himself. He became a Christian. He became a preacher. And for the next decade or so, Paul would preach, and he spent time pastoring a church in the city of Antioch that is mentioned in the book of Acts. And then in the mid-40s, 12, 15 years after the resurrection of Jesus, God called Paul to be a missionary. And that's what he would spend the rest of his life doing, about 20 to 25 years, planting churches in areas that today we would call Turkey, Greece, and a few other locations, if you will. did that for about 20, 25 years until the the late 60s A.D. And during his lifetime as a missionary, Paul faced a lot of hardships. In one moment of self-reflection in the book of 2 Corinthians, he described some of the hardships he endured. As a preacher, as a missionary, as a follower of Jesus. Listen to what he said about his life. And the word should be on the screen, but it's 2 Corinthians 11 24. He said, Five times, now look at that, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. You remember when Jesus was on trial? He was beaten with a whip by the Roman soldiers. 39 lashes. And on the end of the whip were nine leather thongs, nine leather pieces and sharp objects on the end of those that would cut. So over 600 wounds on his body. Paul said, five times that happened to me. In verse 23, he said, three times I was beaten with rods, with sticks, with clubs, if you will. He said, one time I was stoned, and left for dead, according to the book of Acts. Three times I was shipwrecked. And one of those times I spent the whole night and the next day In the Mediterranean Sea, not knowing if I would be rescued or not. Verse 26, he said, I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, fellow Jews, dangers from the Gentiles, non-Jews, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren, hypocrites in the church. He said, I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all of these external things, he said, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Now I want you to contrast that with what you see when you turn on the television and listen to some preachers. That talk as though life will always be a piece of cake. It will always be easy. Everything will go your way if you follow Jesus. I sometimes wonder when I listen to those people if they've ever read the New Testament. Because the Apostle Paul was faithful to the very end. His faith never wavered. He thrived as a man of God and yet his life was not always easy. In fact, sometimes it was really, really hard. And one of the reasons some of you are not thriving in your walk with Jesus is you've bought into the lie that everything has to be done Good if you're living for Christ. And when things are not good, you wonder what's wrong and why God did something to you and you give up. You become weak. You throw in the towel. Following Christ means that your life is going to have blessings and sometimes it's going to have hardships. Just like everybody else in this world. We don't follow Jesus so life can always be easy. And if your attitude says it has to be easy before you follow Jesus, you're never going to thrive spiritually on a consistent basis. We're not going to be rescued from all hardships until the resurrection, until heaven. That's not our motivation for living Christ if we want to have a thriving faith. Now as I said, 12 to 15 years after the resurrection of Jesus, Paul became a missionary. And in the book of Acts, we're told about three trips he took as a missionary. They're called his three missionary journeys. And that would consume the bulk of his life as a missionary. At the end of his third missionary journey, somewhere in the late 50s AD, so about What would that be, 38, about 25 to 30 years after Jesus' resurrection? Paul goes to Jerusalem where he's arrested. And a four-year ordeal begins during which he is taken by ship to Rome, the capital of the empire, to be tried for his faith before the emperor. And the book of Acts ends with Paul in prison in Rome. doesn't tell us what happened to him. Because Luke wrote the book of Acts before the story of Paul's life finished. And so Acts doesn't tell us what happened after that. He's, he's in prison in Rome awaiting trial before the emperor. And we can't say with certainty what happened to Paul after that. But we get some clues, some hints from some other verses in the New Testament as well as some writings from the early church and some of the Christian leaders of the early church most of us who believe the Bible is God's word look at those clues in the epistles of the New Testament and here's what we think probably happened to Paul. At some point in the early 60s, 30 years or so after the resurrection of Jesus, Paul was released from prison in Rome. And he would spend the next four or five years continuing his ministry as a missionary, after which he would be arrested a second time, and put in prison in Rome, and eventually executed by beheading at the instructions of the Emperor Nero. You remember Crazy Nero, the Emperor of Rome, who burned the city and blamed it on the Christians? Started persecuting the Christians in the, in the mid-60s and late 60s? He committed suicide in late 68 or 69, I forget exactly. And probably sometime before his suicide, he had the Apostle Paul executed. One of the reasons we think that It's because there was a leader in the church at Rome. He became the preacher of the church in Rome. His name was Clement. And about 30 years after Paul, in 95 AD or so, he wrote a letter to another church. We still have that letter today. And he talked about Paul and said that he visited the extreme western part of the empire. Now, in the book of Romans, Paul mentioned that when he came to Rome, after that he wanted to visit Spain and share the gospel there. And west of Rome is Spain. And one writing even mentions that he may have gone as far as Britain. We don't know. In between those two times he was in prison in Rome, Paul probably wrote First Timothy. Because in verse 3 of chapter 1, he says to Timothy, I left you, when I left Macedonia, I left you in Ephesus to take care of the things, to fix the things that were messed up in that church. And none of that is mentioned in the book of Acts. So it probably happened tw- between those two times that the apostle Paul was arrested. Second Timothy, Paul probably wrote while he was in prison in Rome that last time, shortly before his execution. Because do you remember how 2 Timothy ends? It's in the book of 2 Timothy that Paul says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. And I finished the race. I finished the course. And there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the, the Lord, the, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. When, when you read 2 Timothy, you, you get the sense that this is the last letter Paul's ever writing, and he's writing it to Timothy, this, this man who had been his associate, his son in the faith, who had been with him through so much for over two decades, saying farewell. Death is at hand, but it's okay because I stayed true to the gospel and I stayed faithful to Jesus Christ and my reward is in front of me and I'm not worried about anything. Paul was a man whose whose faith in Christ did not depend on the circumstances in his life. I would say that's a Christian who thrived. I, I would say that's a follower of Jesus Christ that was productive. He never gave up. He never quit. He kept going forward with Jesus Christ. And if you're going to thrive in your walk with Christ, you have to get to the place that your relationship with Jesus does not depend on what's happening in your life. Now hear that again. If you're ever going to become a Christian that thrives spiritually week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, you've got to come to the place where your relationship with Jesus does not depend on what's happening in your daily life. Because circumstances fluctuate, don't they? Jesus said the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Good and bad things happen to all of us. Your walk with Christ cannot depend on circumstances if you want to thrive spiritually. You've got to move beyond that. Paul did. Think of all those hardships he described that happened to him. shipwreck, floating in the sea, robbers and thieves, beaten multiple times, stoned and left for Dead. Yet he said, I kept the faith. I finished the course. I didn't quit. I'd say he was a Christian who thrived in his relationship with Jesus Christ. So what was his secret? How was he able to move beyond circumstances and and, and continue to, to be faithful and to prosper in his life with Christ? When it seems that so many things can throw us off track. Cause us to be filled with doubt and to retreat into silence and hide in this public arena. What was the secret? You see, I think it's, it's found in the fact that he had this strong connection with Jesus that he never walked away from. A strong connection with Jesus that he constantly nourished and nurtured. A strong connection with Jesus Christ that he never got over, he never let go of, that he held on to with every fiber of his being, that he felt was the most important thing in existence. And he describes it for us in verse 1. See, when we read these books in the New Testament, and we look at the first verse or two where Paul and the other writers say, this is me and I'm writing this to who. We we read over those so quickly, we miss the beautiful truth that is found in those verses. So look at verse 1 again. Paul said that he's an apostle of Christ Jesus according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus who is our hope. Look at what Paul's telling us about himself. How he saw himself who he knew himself to be. He said, I'm Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. The word apostle comes from a Greek verb that means to send. So it's the sent one. It was a word that was often used for an envoy, one who would carry a message to another on behalf of someone else. It was sometimes used for an ambassador who would represent a a king or a leader or a country to another leader or another country just as an an ambassador today will represent America to Japan or Germany or whatever. Paul said, I'm an apostle. I'm a sent one. I'm an envoy. I'm an ambassador. And in the broadest sense of the word, all of us as Christians are ambassadors. All of us as Christians are apostles in a very broad sense because God has sent us into this world into this culture with a message the gospel of Jesus Christ he sent us into this world into this culture into this country as he as his representative see you may own a piece of property in America but as a disciple of Jesus in the long run America is not your home heaven is You're not a citizen in the ultimate sense of this kingdom. You are a citizen in the ultimate sense of the kingdom of God. You are His representative to this culture. And this culture is lost. This culture is full of sin. This culture is in need of salvation. It always has been. And one of the reasons so many of us struggle in our walk with Christ is we think of ourselves more as being of the here than we do of the there. And when it comes to the kingdom of God, that's that other part of our life that we sometimes bring into our existence here rather than understanding that first and foremost, we are citizens of His kingdom who happen to have our feet planted in this foreign soil to represent Him. You have to know who you are if you're going to thrive as a follower of Christ. Paul said, I'm an apostle. Now, in the narrow sense, the New Testament uses the word apostle for those men who were with Jesus, called and taught by Jesus, and then saw the resurrected Jesus. And then on, on the Damascus Road, Paul had an encounter with a living, resurrected Jesus. He was an apostle and had the authority of an apostle. And so he said, I'm an apostle according to the commandment of God in verse 1. Normally when Paul talked about his apostleship, he said it's according to the will of God. This is the only time he said it was by the commandment of God. Because the will of God is always a command of God. The will of God is never a suggestion. The will of God is never something he just thinks would be good for you. The will of God is the same thing as a command of God. The will of God that's clearly revealed in Scripture for all of us as disciples is commands of God, not simply suggestions of God. And so Paul never forgot who he was. And so through all those travels and all those countries, all those hardships, all those challenges, all that opposition, Paul never forgot who he was and whose he was. And so he could speak with confidence and lived with confidence whether he was floating in the waters of the Mediterranean Sea, waiting in a dark sail for the executioner's axe, through all of that, walking a lonely road wondering if a robber was around the next bend, through all of that, he knew who he was, that he had the call of God upon his life. He never got over that. He never forgot that. And the truth is, your relationship with Jesus began with a call of God. God spoke to your heart and drew you to himself. The Holy Spirit spoke to your soul and convicted you of your sin and your need for Christ, and he drew you to Christ. That's the call of God to salvation. And every day of your life, there is the call of God upon you to be his, to live as his, to bring glory to him, to grow in him. It's the call of God on your life. The problem is so often we forget that we're called. We forget who we are and to whom we belong. Paul said, I'm an apostle by the commandment of God, the will of God. And notice he said, of God our Savior. We usually refer to Jesus as Savior, and Jesus is. But it's okay to call God the Father our Savior because salvation originates with him. What does John 3.16 say? What's the very first word in John 3.16, church? For God, right? For God So loved the world he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is the author of it. God is the one who said God is our Savior. And one of the reasons Paul, I think, used that phrase in this verse is because the Greek word that is translated Savior in verse 1 is the same word that Nero, that crazy Roman emperor who burned the city and was persecuting Christians and had Paul in jail, That same Nero used that same Greek word for Savior as a way of referring to himself. And it's as though Paul was reminding Timothy and the people in the church who would hear this letter when Timothy read it to them that Nero's not your Savior. The government is not your Savior. The legislature's not your Savior. The culture's not your Savior. God is your Savior. And if you put your hope anywhere else, you will be. Be disappointed. Haven't we learned that? Emperor worship was a, a big deal. Christians were often persecuted because they would not say Caesar is Lord, Nero is Lord, Nero is Savior. And when we, we think today about worshiping an emperor is something you know silly, you know, worshiping the pharaohs in Egypt is something silly, but it was part of their culture. It was as common to them. It was a part of the the fabric of their society. And when Christians didn't do it, they were persecuted. When you don't want to go along with the Hollywood types and and, and other types. (laughs) See, worship can take a lot of different forms. But you have to know who you are and the one to whom you belong. He said, God is my Savior and Christ Jesus is. He's my hope at the end of verse 1. Looking to the future, the second coming, and the the redemption of the the body. So so Paul would know that, that he was going to die. But he had a hope that was unshakable because he knew that one day Jesus would raise his body, even if he was beheaded. Jesus would raise his body, he would be whole, he would be well. He would be perfect, he would be happy, and it would be forever in the Father's house. In Timothy, when Paul said, the time of my departure is at hand, that's a naval term. And the word departure is the picture of a ship that leaves the dock and begins sailing on the water into the horizon. And you stand on the shore and watch, and the further away it moves, the smaller it becomes until eventually it vanishes from your sight. That's what that word departure means. Someone dies. Paul's going to die. And they're buried. And you see them only in your memory and in photographs. But when that ship would move across the horizon, even though the people standing on the shore could no longer see it, that ship was as real as ever, as big as ever. It was just out of sight. And Paul says, that's what my death is. I'm just moving from one dock to another, from one shore to another. He had a hope, and he said it was unshakable. So no matter what happened in life, he said, I'm an apostle by the command and the will of God who is my Savior. He's the one that rescues me. He's the one that saves me. And I'm an apostle by the will and the command of Jesus Christ who is my hope. And no matter what happens, no matter the circumstances, I will never take my eyes off my hope, Jesus Christ, and put it on anything else or anyone else to be my hope in place of him. I really like the way he... The Bible says it in Psalm 43:5. Look at that. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Is as though the psalmist was saying, when I Keep my eyes on God, my hope, and I choose to praise Him. As I praise Him, my countenance is lifted. My demeanor is lifted. My heart is lifted. If I'm downcast, if I'm depressed, if I'm discouraged, if I look up and praise Him, He lifts me up. But the more you look at this culture, and the more you look at this world, and the more you look at your hardships, and the more you look at your problems, and the more you look at your challenges, the more downcast you will become. To remain a vibrant Christian, a thriving Christian, you have to keep your eyes on him. You have to keep that connection with Jesus Christ strong. That was Paul's secret. The same thing is true of Timothy. I don't have much time, but let me tell you a little bit about Timothy. Timothy grew up in a town named Lystra in what is modern Turkey. His dad was a Greek and probably not very religious according to the book of Acts. His mother and grandmother were devout Jews who taught him the Old Testament. And on Paul's first missionary trip, Paul stopped in Lystra and preached the gospel and planted a church. Timothy's mom and grandmother and Timothy became believers under the influence of Paul's evangelistic ministry. Two or three years later, Paul returned to Lystra on his second missionary trip. And by that time, Timothy had grown so much, he was such a strong Christian, people were bragging on Timothy. Paul invited Timothy to join his team. And Timothy would spend the next two decades or so as an associate doing ministry with the Apostle Paul as he traveled around that part of the world planting churches and doing mission work. And Timothy became one of the men that Paul trusted with everything. In fact, verse 3 of chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, Paul says, I left you in Ephesus. When I left Macedonia, I left you in Ephesus to fix the things in that church that needed fixing. Paul tended to put Timothy in the places that were the hardest, the churches that were the most challenging. That tells you how much he trusted Timothy, how dependable he was. Timothy was. Let me ask you a question. Can this church count on you? Are you dependable? Timothy spent those years with Paul. Do you know what that means? Some of the hardships Paul experienced, Timothy also experienced them with him. And after Paul was executed, Timothy continued in ministry. How do I know that? The book of Hebrews that was written after Paul's martyrdom. Chapter 13, look at this. Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. That's in Hebrews 13, verse 23. The writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it is. The writer of Hebrews is saying to the people he's writing that letter to, the book of Hebrews, which were Christians from a Jewish background... He said, I, I want to come to you. I'm sending this letter, but, but I'm going to come to you soon. And Timothy, if he gets to me soon enough, I want him to come with me because he's just been let out of jail. So Timothy was faithful enough to Jesus that he was arrested for his faith at some point. That's all we know about it is that one verse. That's it. So Timothy was also a man who thrived in his walk with Christ even when it was hard And so Paul said about Timothy in verse 2, he's my true child in the faith. True, he's genuine. He's the real deal. And because of Timothy's relationship with Jesus Christ, he received three things. Paul mentions them in verse 2. Grace, mercy, and peace. Do you know what grace is? We often sing that hymn, Amazing Grace. Do you know what grace is? Sometimes you'll hear people say grace means unmerited favor. Let me tell you what grace is. Grace is God loving you enough to choose to do for you what you don't deserve. Grace is God looking at you and saying I love you so much that I choose to give you, to do for you what you have not earned and what is not rightfully yours just because I love you. That's grace you know what mercy is? Mercy is another word for God's love, but it but it's got a different shade of meaning to it. Mercy has the idea of compassion. The idea of almost of, of pity. It's God looking at us and saying, I I I love you and I have compassion for you and I'm taking pity on you. And where grace is God doing for us what we don't deserve? Mercy is God holding back, keeping back what we actually really do deserve. Grace is forgiveness. Mercy is not sending us to hell the first time we sin. Grace is raising us from the dead and giving us a new body. Mercy is choosing to not leave us in the grave because that's what our sin deserves. Grace is doing for us. Mercy is holding back what we should get. Both motivated from love. And the end result of those two gifts from God in Timothy's life and in our life is peace. You know what peace is? The Greek word translated peace means to literally to to bind together two things that are separated, to glue together, to bind together, connect together two things that are separated, you and God. See, it's the grace and mercy of God working together that makes peace with God, connecting you and God, gluing you and God together possible. And do you know how you have inner peace? There's some of you in this room, you're looking for inner peace. You've been looking for inner peace a long, long time. You know how you have have inner peace? There is no peace in here until you and God are this. Inner peace doesn't come from stuff. Peace that lasts doesn't come from other people. Peace that's real, does it come from the culture? Peace comes when you and God are this. The secret to these two men. Why through, and I chose them because of the difficulties they faced living for Christ. Because most of us are not going to face difficulties nearly as 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 real as they endured. Some will, but most of us won't. We'll have some, but most of us are not going to be floating in the sea because we're serving Jesus. Most of us are not going to be thrown in jail because we're serving Jesus. Most of us are not going to be beaten multiple times because we're serving Jesus. But we're going to have hurts, and we're going to have disappointments, and we're going to have struggles, and we're going to have to have challenges. They, through all of it, thrived. As followers of Christ, you and I, whatever our circumstances, can also thrive as followers of Christ, but only if we understand it's that connection with Jesus that the Christian life begins with, that that connection is the key to our thriving. Now, the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about some of the ways you feed and nurture that connection. But none of that will matter if you don't settle the issue of, are you connected to Jesus? Settle the issue of Jesus being your Savior and your Lord. Settle the issue of who you really are. To whom do you belong? Is Jesus a part of your life? Or is he your life? Is Jesus the one you ask to help you as you live whatever life you choose to live? Or is your life a response to the call of God to do what God's calling you to do and be who he's calling you to be? Is his will and his command at the center of your existence? Those are the issues that have to be settled if we're going to thrive. Otherwise, we're dependent on circumstances and we're up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. down. So who are you? And what is Jesus' place in your life?